Broadcasting Network. Okay, welcome, our podcast audience. This is a special time of year. I thought we'd do some Christmas music and something very different. Actually, uh, actually, Tony Bennett is the voice you're going to be hearing. I'm actually going to be singing on this one. I'm going to be playing trumpet, trumpet in the background. You're going to be hearing the Count Basie Band, the wonderful Count Basie Band. And we're going to do a couple today to get started with. And as I say, this is something different. It's the beginning of the Christmas season. So here we go. Okay, welcome, podcasters, to our number, hey, what is this? Is this 13? Well, lucky 14. 14, lucky 14 show. I hope you all had 13? a- 13? Good holiday. It's 13. It's 13? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> 13. I hope it's a good luck podcast for ourselves. Um, thank you for your Twitter questions. Uh, let me remind you, um, let's send the Twitters. Uh, at uh, LL Jim Corolla, or post them on your website, mess- uh, on my website, message On board. our website. Our there you go. website. 
uh, a message here. Okay, got it, LL, Jim Carolla, or the, our website, a message board. Yeah, we got a few of them, so keep them coming. Yeah, so while we're at that, uh, one, one person asked about the pictures uh, in our logo. Uh, yeah, gee, God, that was, I guess I must have been in my 30s for that picture, and um, uh, Joe Carvello, it's a name I remember, somehow from my early years ago. He was a comedy writer out, out here, and he was, uh, a, you know, he saw me, he heard me or something. He said, I can write some good material for you. And, uh, and that picture, I was going to play at the little, Ye, Ye Little Club. Some of you might have, it was many years ago. I, I don't know if they're still up, but they're in Beverly Hills. Ye Little Club, I think that was the name of it. Any, anyway, um, that those pictures with that, and I. By the way, ye ain't there anymore. Ye no. not there. No. Okay, um, and um, uh, those pictures were for that. I I did a little stand up there, but it was really the, the material was terrible. I was terrible. It was not a good time. But, so they were, they were the pictures of uh, leading into that. Jim, on the on the pictures, like when you got your hand. About, do you remember any of the jokes? No, they. Uh, this is these were mo these were posed. Oh, okay. So that yeah. was in front of an audience because it looks like it's in front of an audience, or you were like yeah. a live performance. No, no, it was no, no. I was made to do that. I was oh, okay. made to look like that. Okay, so we answered a couple of the questions, and um, Ray and I did a kind of a little commercial basketball. Uh, what day was that? Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. And May um, and I did kind of one to one for a commercial. I forget what what, what the company was. But um, Jeremiah I had, Weed. I had fun hanging out with you. It was Jeremiah Weed. Jeremiah Weed. Okay. Great liquor company. Great liquor company. Um, Drink it daily. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, first time I've heard of it, but now I know of it. <laughs> <laughs> Mixture of, first, can you say the ingredients? No. Well, can you? Yeah, it, it's vodka. It's um, sweet tea vodka. Sweet tea vodka. Delicious yeah. sweet tea vodka. It looks like it. Uh, it looks like it. Anyway, we did that. I mean, Ray's a good basketball player. He can move around that Duh. court. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he went on for a couple of hours almost nonstop. Uh, of course, I won. Just with one, I, I'd rather not go into it. No, you were going to win anyway. Yes, <laughs> it was rigged. <laughs> okay, so we had some fun doing that. Okay, now getting to our show today. We'll just do a brief introduction. See some of the things I touch on: subpersonalities and meditations, and the different parts of fragmented parts of ourselves and false eyes and all of that. Now, the, the material that's going to take a while to ever really uh, go deeper into them. And so sometimes I have to go back to them just to add a piece on. One is meditation. And maybe we can ask Ray, um, how, how was it this week? Well, the first week, you know, I, I took it as a, a challenge. So I made sure I was seven for seven. But... And then I talk to you about it when I see you on Saturdays, and um, I realize that you know I'm up to the challenge if it's if it's like a competitive thing. Mm. And then when I was on to myself, 
I kind of flailed a little. Like mm -hmm. I've missed two days in two weeks, you know. So I got to give myself a little bit of kudos for doing it. But I see the juxtaposition. I see where like my, like if it isn't a competitive thing or a challenge or like, hey man, fuck you, you can't do this. And then I'll do it. But it's a bad way to do it. You know what I mean? It's not for a center. It's not for, mm. a, it, the truth is a lie. Like my truth is a lie. But see, it's a learning. I mean, all that you just said, you almost needed it to really, that's what it does. It's, it's that we see what our attitudes, we see what we do. And just what you said was a learning. You saw something. Uh, so it would be a matter of if you were wanting to see more. Remember, meditate, we meditate to know ourselves. That's what we're trying to do. There's a process of becoming, uh, coming into a relationship. You actually, it's like a person. Uh, there's a struggle in it, but it's coming into a relationship with our own consciousness. And just as Ray said that, we saw when it wasn't competitive, it kind of, uh, didn't feel that same urge, but the competition drove him, uh, and he he say he meditated less. But also he learned something, and that's that's what you give in meditation. You learn, so it's a sanctuary. It's a place where we can be quiet, uh, touch this quiet place in us uh, for the birth of another theme today, the second birth. I mean, for the birth of the second. So a second birth, which is a, a deeper part of us, the I call the essence part of ourselves. Um, and the daily act of meditating, plumbing into the inner world, the separate parts of ourselves start to know each other. Now that's a very important, important part. Let me say that again. The separate parts of ourselves, we talked about the subpersonalities, those separate parts of ourselves, those many parts of ourselves in meditation could uh, get to know each other. And they'll get to know each other in the quiet of the meditation. And also could help them come together. That's an important idea about meditation. Even what we saw Ray, Ray learned about himself and uh, got to see more of that part of himself. Hey, that, that expression, like the I and I, is that, that's a real expression in Buddhism what or something. It? The I and I. The I in I? Yeah. Because like, I see a bunch of different eyes in myself. Oh, you know what I yeah. mean? And then when, like when I sit... Or when I when I have like a self discovery of another entity, you know, like for instance the the um, the guy who's competitive, you know that kind of thing, and then you know I also see the one who's like, all right, I'm not really called on, so I can slack on this, or you know the one who naps all the time, the one who you know, all right, I got to be looking good for this or whatever. I mean, you see them all, and they're not in cahoots. You know, they're all doing their thing. They're all vying for their time. It's like you're Sybil, but you're not even aware that you are. Mm. Yeah, so whatever they are, at the beginning, we don't know. So we keep that open. Now, the mind's going to have a take on it, and it's okay that the mind have a take on it. But there's a possibility, 
as they roam around and bump into each other, they get to know a little more. And they, in some way, without us even planning or the mind making it happen, they could even unify. And that's the part that goes on underground. So we're looking for the essence, the higher self, etc. And the one who is looking. In other words, when, we, when we're viewing and, and having an urge to look for something, there's something in the looking that's more than the mind. Something like a looker, a witness. There's something in there that's behind the words. There's something behind our, beyond our mind which abides in silence within our mind. It is a supreme mystery beyond thought. So that week, or was it last week or so, I was saying not to put great emphasis just on thoughts and words, but that there's something behind. Um, there's a supreme mystery behind the words. And it's, a, and it's possible in meditation to um, touch that. But, you know, it, it takes takes a little while to get into it. And the other thing is, though it sounds like a war to carry our, our um, self into it, eventually to learn to love it. It's a relationship that there's some way you abide in it. There's something soft in it. There's something reassuring. There's a deep, relaxing quiet. You actually have to love it. It's the opposite of what we usually think about. Um, people that really get into it, they kind of love it. It's like they look forward to it, look forward to that relationship. Do do you? Well, I can't say I've reached where I, I love it, but there's times when I really abide in it, and there's something that happens in it that I, I don't expect, and a, a real peaceful... Um, relaxation comes over me, and the time then goes very fast. Before I know the half hour's over, I thought I'd been there 10 minutes. Um, I've always accentuated the struggle part. So this is the first time I'm, I'm talking about another part of it, which is actually becomes a sanctuary for a new part to be born. And you really taste something different, and you like the taste, and you look forward to... Uh, uh, hitting it again, feeling it again. Sounds like drugs. I well, mean, at, at a level. But it's something that you're creating by your work. It's not a mechanical. Some of the some of the highs of drugs. The thing about drugs is kind of it just hits highs and it bounces on the ground. This is if you reach a high, your feet are on the ground, and that's the difference. Your feet remain on the ground even if you feel uh, what you we'll call a drug experience, a high experience, but you're connected to the earth and, um, and you don't, you don't get, you don't take it, um, you don't, it's not just for the high purposes. It was there, maybe not there the next day. Uh, right, it's real work know. to get there. It's not, have, it's not synthetic. Right. It's of your own conscious choice. Okay, and then and just there's something uh, I, I, I mentioned, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it here, the obstacles. 
So the first thing we have to confront in the second birth is we don't see our real predicament. If we really saw the predicament we're really in, it would really be painful. But it's not that painful. I mean, we have our own little pains and suffering, and we look to find something to change it. But our own predicament would be quite quite painful if we really saw it. Namely, we act from deep-rooted programs from early childhood, uh, living from cause to effect in an unbroken chain of reactions. That's a description, an unbroken chain of reactions, which in turn produces a stream of sensation and images, which are never the reality they pretend to be. God, that's huge. (laughs) That's really... uh, uh, produce uh, an unbroken chain of, uh, of uh, reactions. Well, that, that line itself is really something. And you really see that it's always the same reactions, either one kind or another kind, or you know, and those images that are built up and we think that's really what reality is, is um, you know, all of that. Um, that becomes a flow, and that flow then just dominates our life. And in meditation, among other things, but in meditation, there's a chance to really see that and really see how, you're, how we are stuck. And uh, the seeing of it begins to help us know more and eventually to uh, unite those different parts. There's a lot of a lot of right righteousness like hooked up in that that fake chain, in there. I mean, for me, like you know that whole gung ho thing and like you know saying that you're. I mean, not that right or wrong matters, but but a lot of a lot of energy in that. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of energy, and the image that we talked about, image, uh, the image of the competition of being on top and. You know, that image part's so strong and so hard to, and motivates us more and more so that we somehow win or stay on top. Or, or you don't even play, so you don't have to. Yeah, or, or, or the opposite of it. Yeah. So something in us has to have a quietude. Back to that question. Uh, something I said a few lectures ago, not lectures, a few podcasts ago, is that um, we have to be able to, even right now as Ray and I are sitting here, so first thing I'm checking my own posture. I'm kind of taking a look and see if my back's right. Um, my, I'm in touch with my breath, which allows me to um, touch a little quietness, even within the talking. And then I'm, as I go along, see if I lose it, or whether I'm able to maintain it, and or go in and out of it, and in other words, really try to be present here today. So, Ray, did you see anything in things we were talking about earlier that caught your eye? Yeah, well, you know, because I have this thing where I, I, as you know, I write everything down, and I have a tendency to collect stuff, and um, you know, and I, I take these copious notes that are, are kind of um, they're um, what's, they're like hieroglyphic you know yeah and 
so I'll, <laughs> I'll like make a material list and spec sheet I'll have and all this other stuff that pertains to the jobs and things like that and then you know stuff stuff hits me during the day like like you know you you say ask yourself the question who am i like what practices are you doing are you counting are you doing it so i'll like write notes like that to myself too in the midst of all that confusion and i and i see how that that just propels my habitual mm -hmm. nature you know and I, I do that a lot you know like call al call do you know my to-do list and then there'll be something in there that you know pertains to like my work with you mm -hmm. and then it's like i lose i lose it because it doesn't it doesn't really count it falls under it it counts but it falls under that category of of that unbroken chain you know like my like i noticed when we were playing ball together you were telling me you know hey slow down you know and when you tell me to slow down i look at it in a different way than if somebody else was to tell me to slow down like, okay, I get what he's saying here. You know, my energy is such where it's like, what am I doing here? Or like, mm -hmm. who am I? You know, and what am I trying to get across? So it's kind of, it's a, it's a wake up, mm -hmm. you know, and to have those wake ups maybe consistently through the day or definitely when you're sitting. But that kind of stuff is what gets to me. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, that idea of deep-rooted programs that determine our whole life and living under the, I call it living under the law of accident. In other words, we're just where you happen to be born, who your mother happens to be, father, and uh, Ray and I were talking about our parents last time. Um, and, uh, and that's all, you know, you have to take what country and whether you're poor, whether you have any money or it's all poverty, all that kind of thing. Yeah, Ray, I remember you asked me last time, I don't think we can, if we continue now, about my father. You wanted to know, was my, uh, somehow did I get some notice from my father or some solace from him? He, in comparison to my mother, he was softer, was a softer person. My mother was uh, actually, uh, even thinking of your mother, some similarities there. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, she was maybe a tired version of it. I don't know, because she used to work so hard and work all. She, she worked in the garment jungle, which was just a terrible place. So about my father, I don't think he was on to the first place, the dynamic that my mother was after me. You, you're just like your father, everything like him. You're lazy like he's lazy. You won't do anything. You're, like, would she ever, when in the house, you know, when you guys were growing up, would she go after your dad and say, hey, you're lazy? I mean, would you witness, you know, stuff like that? Yeah. They, like, my parents yeah. always pretended to talk, you know, or, hey, we had a, a talk when they were, you know, kind of, they were in a fight. They weren't having a talk. Mm. You know, what's, what, what is, is that code for fight? Is the word talk? Right. No, they fought... My mother would come after him. She'd be mad. She'd be ornery after her day. And uh, she would come home, and sometimes he wouldn't even be there. He'd be supposedly down the Musicians' Union, where he lived a lot of his life. Musicians' Union, which I belonged to later, as when I grew up, which is they call out on the microphone, need a trombone player. <laughs> so he was like waiting around, 
So it's just like a dock worker, except for people who play instruments? Yeah, a little cleaner setting. Everybody wore a suit, and they were all talking about possibilities of working and so on. Um, Then my father would come home. He'd be in a suit. He'd come on the 15th Street trolley. In fact, there's a picture uh, during the war of my father (laughs) on the 15th Street trolley heading home, 15th and Reed. Yeah, 15th and Reed, where we live. Um, and uh, Roosevelt just died. So we know that was the war wasn't even over yet. He died during the war, President Roosevelt. And uh, cameras, and they stopped the trolley. They want to get people's reaction, and they want to take the picture of the man on the trolley car. Guess who that was? <laughs> it was my father in the suit, coming home, like coming home from the war, you know. So like coming home from the Union. He was coming home from the Union, not the war. Um, and, uh, and, uh, it was in the bullet, the Philadelphia Bulletin, the front page, my father coming home on 15th Street. So was that a bad thing for your mom or was that like a, a pride, was, was your mom ever proud of your dad? Not that she, she never, she had like some hope that maybe he would get a job or she had some idea of, uh, you know, maybe get a study job. So it was always like hand to mouth kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for her, we, he didn't make enough for us to live. I mean, she paid the rent and, you know, she did all the work. So he would come home and she'd be like trying to hustle up some dinner or something. He'd walk in the door and she'd be mad at him. Where were you all day? Why don't you at least cook something? Why don't you buy? You know, so they fought, right? As soon as he walked in the door, the fighting began. Uh, he didn't fight that much. He went upstairs and played the trombone. That's the way my father handled it. He used to have a line, see, he would say, okay, um, just, he wanted some time, he wanted her to shut up. And he'd say, um, what was that line, God, in English? Um, um, Give me a few minutes, Louis, he called her, Louis. Um, I want to play a few more notes. In other words, we'll continue the argument when I come down, but I want to run upstairs and play some scales, you know, which made my mother furious. (laughs) <laughs> and she looked over, and I thought that was proud. I was like, this learning is, my father wants to run up and play scales. That's what it would be. And, she, and then she would look at me, why don't you go play scales, too? <laughs> go with your father, and you both play. See if you could eat scales. See if they can make a scale sandwich, she would say. And of course, you know, he never produced any money. And my mom was a big, big-time shouter, big-time yeller. And then she'd hit you, but then we got too big, and then she'd hurt her hand. And then, um, and I was a shouter too. I mean, as you know. And then I had, um, ironically enough, I had a polyp, you know. And I didn't oh, get that wow. surgery. Remember, I had to be quiet oh, yeah. for two weeks. I had yeah. to be quiet for two weeks. Worked yeah. out though. I don't shout as much. Yeah, that's that, right. That was definitely a thing in my family. My mom would yell. I mean, you could hear her down the block, man. It was insane. She'd just scream your name, and then you couldn't fake like you didn't hear her either, because mm-hmm. then you mm-hmm. get beat. But it was, um, it was something. It was kind of like the kind of like what you're talking about when I looked at the description. Because my my dad had his hustle on, but my dad was always kind of legit, and my mom would have to handle the bills. My mom, you know, kept the house together. My mom did the cooking. My mom was more or less, had you know. I didn't look at my dad as as like a, a man. You know, I thought you know if if something goes down, you know, when you're little. If something happens, who's going to protect us? 
all right, my mom can, because <laughs> my dad's not going to do it. I didn't have like a, a vision of a, a father, you know, like, hey, you're, you're picking on my son, you know, that's it, back off, no, no fucking way, you know. I mean, we had to kind of fend for ourselves with that kind of thing. Yeah, something with a deep-rooted programming I talked about earlier. Look at these, look at the programs that are coming down for the both of us in this deep-rooted program deal. That eventually, I mean, I, I, I played music because that's the thing that coaxed a smile on my father's face, and the hope that I would somehow take the Corolla brass name. All we're all brass players, and. Um, and uh, he could be proud of me, and you know, I had some hope in me in that way. So when dinner time would actually come now, so my other brothers came in, they'd be sitting around the table, my mother cooked. They were allied, those three. They worked for a living, and, and my father and I were the, uh, struggling. I was a student player, and then uh, we would walk in together, like arm in arm. <laughs> And they would look at us like, you know, we would like sit together. Uh, we were like the two of us against the three of them. So it was like just a huge chasm and tension just at the dinner table with the family. Right. And uh, my father had a bad stomach and uh, he only could have my fiddleen. It's a kind of um, macaroni uh, with no gravy or no, you know, just with butter because he had a bad stomach. and. Do you ever find yourself eating that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, I had it the other night. Really? <laughs> you know, sometimes I like, because uh, my stomach was bad now that I think of it, um, that um, uh, yeah, I needed something, felt I needed something bland. So I had my little fiddleine, thinking of my father, with butter and cheese. Uh, so yeah, I have it. I have it once in a while too. Because my mom would eat stuff like um, like head cheese, and I didn't know what it was. And then she would tell me, and I'd go, "Mom, how can you eat that? It's like that, you know, the um, meat on the pig skull. Oh, you know, and then yeah. it's like gelled, and it's congealed, and it has like little veins of meat, mm -hmm. fat, and and gel in it. And she would love oh, that. Yeah, I know. So wow. you look at your face. Yeah. And I would like it because it was salty when I was a kid. And then we'd eat this stuff called bloodwurst, which was oh, just yeah, yeah. casing, cooked blood with like little scraps of God knows what thrown in oh, it. And I yeah. would eat it up. I'd love it. Uh -huh. And then I go, Mom, what is this? You know, and she told me, I go, never let me eat it again. You know, but that German food is like, you know, it's, yeah. it's some of it's incredibly good, like sauerbraten and stuff like that and spinachamusen, mm -hmm. which is just cream spinach or spetzle or whatever but then some of it's just you know my you know and my mom would eat it up grease knuckle and she oh would, my god the the pig's feet pig's feet yeah. yeah she would eat the pig you know in the jar you'd see it i'd look wow. at it go like how can you do that and red mm -hmm. cabbage is not that great i'm not a big fan Holy but it's god, but when god. you eat that stuff does it remind you of your dad uh no, I actually didn't at that time, do. No, actually, I, I didn't think of that, no. You know, I was thinking, I just, I, had, I didn't know you ate like that. I was thinking, here I'm going down the road of psychoanalysis. I'm trying to find out some early, and, and I realized now, maybe I'm going down the wrong road with you. Maybe it was the blood worth. Blood worth? <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe that, that diet you ate, holy God, it was... 
No, it was it was something. I mean, I remember being in Germany, and I was six years, and the stuff we would eat. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I don't know how I got through it. I'm mm. telling, but like, but then you know, lentils, and then, and I like German food. I, I still do, and kartoffel and all that kind of mm. thing. But um, and then before my mom passed away, I would like she would get some cravings, you know, from her childhood, and I would go over to the German butcher out on mm -hmm. Woodley or whatever, right? And I'd go in there, and I had like a kid flashback. Like you'd see the chocolates from mm. when you were a kid, and you'd see everything like laid out, forty-seven eleven, that cologne, and I'd be looking around, going my god i'm six years old right now mm. you know and then you look at the old guy behind the the counter and he looks like everybody in that hometown and yeah. then three women you know behind you know the butcher and everything else and and you would see the the worsts and the meats laid mm. out you know and with all the casing and like the the you know the frankfurters and all that and it's it was pretty you know it, it really brought you back and then and my mom ate like that, and at the end of her life, she couldn't even eat, you know, yeah. due to her condition. And um, so these things, like herring, she liked herring and mm. packed in oil, and oh, it was like, God. fuck, ma, really, you want oh. that? All right, I'm getting you three cans of it. <laughs> Mind you, she didn't open one. Yeah, right. but, but um, you know, I'd go down there and get her whatever she needed. But mm. it was like, yeah, you really, you really see, and then you can understand when you went, when I went back before she passed away, and you see these, this, you know, ramshackle house, which isn't, well, it's pretty ramshackle, and it's like 4,000 square feet, which is huge, but it was built 400 years ago, mm -hmm. and that's where she grew up in that, in this thing. And there's like a potato cellar, and, the, and there's a slaughterhouse there, oh you know, they dress their own meat, oh you know, and I remember when I was little, the people down the way, you know, they would eat pigeon. They, I saw a pigeon with their heads decapitated, like six of them in a row. That was dinner for, you know, squab, whatever. That yeah. was dinner for them. And, you, and I'd see my grandma kill a chicken, wait for it to run around in circles, wait for it to relax a little bit because she couldn't catch it. And um, we'd eat that chicken that night. Mm -hmm. And you thought nothing of it. Yeah. Ask me to kill a chicken now. I, I won't eat it. Mm. Well, yeah. I might. Well, folks... Uh, we're getting into the, our um, our family eating. Um, what was it like at the dinner table? Um, you know, one thing is, um, the, the thing about my father and I as two allies, our big theme was someday let these little factory workers be mad at us all they want. They're probably jealous because we can play music. Um, and you and I are going to go arm in arm get on the train, and we're going to go to California. Oh, I can see it now. We get on that train, we have our instruments, and we're choo-chooing off to California and getting jobs in the studios. Or, um, that was our big thing. In the meantime, they'd say, you kidding? You two couldn't work anywhere. Yeah, you see, someday we're going to be heading off into the studios, and they would laugh at it. Oh, we let them laugh. We said, we're going to keep studying our scales until we can finally... Now, California, which is a funny place. Why California? This is happening in Philadelphia. Um, the but, promised land. Yeah, that's, yeah, the promised land. That, that was the promised land for us. Um, you guys were like grapes of wrath, but with instruments. <laughs> yeah, that's a good picture. <laughs> yeah, a little, our little trombones and trumpets and got on that. Hey, did you ever make your dad proud with your plan? I mean, did he ever, like, 
did you ever you know play a scale or were practicing and he was downstairs and heard you and came up and and you know acknowledged you well what he would do yeah and i was i was prom at that time i was promising for how long i've, I've been playing I, I was able to get a very pretty sound on the trumpet um how oh, this little cornet didn't have a trumpet yet um but he would bring some of his friends over now that's what they were doing in the Italian world. He'd say, "Come on over, I want you to hear Jimmy." Um, so the, he'd bring like two or three of the paisans or musicians over, and he called me down. I was up. I was always pretending I was studying a lot. That was another thing I did. When <laughs> I, because I, I know too. he loved it. What? I, I pretended I studied. Yeah. Did you do your homework? Yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, so I would do very dramatic things when I heard a trolley car coming, number five car. This trolley that ran right by our house. Uh, I'd be looking out the window and I'd see my father getting off the trolley. And then I'd go into, wonder what he really thought about this. I would go into like some mad kind of trumpet playing or something so he could hear it coming down the block so he knows I'm studying. But by the time he got there, I'd be on the bed, like collapsed on the bed, the trumpet on, the, on, <coughs> on my chest. Like I had just fainted. Oh, like you 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 needed a nap because you you were so exhausted <laughs> oh. for the last four hours that you were playing. <laughs> you were I mean, milking it. Yeah, I was milking it. Oh God! <laughs> I used to say, Jimmy. You said, Oh, Dad, is that you? I I was out about six hours. What time is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you would be laying on the bed with the trumpet right. on your chest, and then the one eye open, yeah, peering at him when he like checked in. Right. I was I was playing about twenty minutes, but. You know, but and I timed it for the five o'clock trolley coming in. You know, I, I go there quarter of five, and start playing. Yeah, that was all to please him. No, so to answer your question, yeah, so we bring <laughs> a few in, and, uh, and he called me down. So I went, this, this is the sound he gets. And I was playing F major scale for him, and so that was that was. Uh, he died too early for that. Before I really, um, before I really. To play. To play, yeah. I wish he would have heard later on, but yeah, he would have really liked to have heard that. Yeah, so that was that was a lot of that was our hope that we were going to be together and. But you're you're going to be a father and son kind of duo, or just you know, slog away in the musician world. No, just probably slog away. (laughs) (laughs) Not uh, wait, wait. You could have been like a two man, uh, like a team. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There were a lot of those then, weren't there? <laughs> right. Okay, folks. Wow. What's hey, on, tell going? me. You said, like, I remember talking to you privately. You said I should have never um, picked the trumpet. I remember you said that, and I was going like, "Why?" You mm-hmm. know, because you're 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 really good, and um, you go because the trumpet's too it's too physical of an instrument. Yeah, one thing, and we all had this in common. My father had it too. My brothers and the Mancini family, uh, these all other players, we didn't have a good range. Now, trumpet, uh, particularly after Louis Armstrong, you know, you get up to high C, and uh, as long as you had a high C, you can kind of high get, get by. The arrangements were written that way. But then the trumpet started to go sky high. These, these people like Louis Armstrong began to hit much higher notes. They went an octave higher than that high C. And I didn't have the chops for that, no matter I just didn't. I went one time to a specialist, because that's where I was really stuck. 
uh, Reinhardt, born, I remember his name. He was a high note specialist in Philadelphia, something Reinhardt. That's all he did was teach you how to get a high register. <laughs> that was his only specialty. And desperation to try to get three or four more notes from that high C, um, I never did. So there was like a limitation there. So I really couldn't play lead trumpet. I didn't have the range for it. Well, like in layman's terms, you know, I don't know what a high C is, and I don't, I don't know anything about that kind of thing. But is it like singers, like you know, some people have more range than others. Is it just is it that much? You need that physical quality with it, because you were saying, like guys like Louis Armstrong, and you were telling me guys like Chet Baker, and and people you've mentioned to me before that they're the physicality of the instrument. I mean, it, it's super demanding. Because when I watch you play, I can see how it sounds so pretty, but it's it's arduous. It's hard to do. And I've tried to blow... I mean, who hasn't tried to blow in a horn? Try and get one decent sound out of it. Forget it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough go. Yeah, it's, 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 there's a whole physicality part of brass instruments um, that on the surface doesn't look that way. But remember, you have a piece of metal, and you're trying to have that toilet piping produce beautiful sounds and articulations and registers and so on. So you know, it's like any all instruments have their great difficulties, but uh, brass instruments have that physical part. Now, as an old man, I'm really running into it now. You know, when I'm not trying to play lead anywhere or anything like that, it's all just for myself. But um, in fact, I probably got a better register now coming into my 80s than I did when I was younger. Um, but you put it down for a long time, right? Yeah, for years. Like for 20, 30 years? Uh, and then... Not that long, but uh, intermittently. I might, you know, I might play at a birthday party or for Christmas or something and then not play it the rest of the year. But you just started doing it consistently again for what, the last four or five years? Yeah, the, I would say last five or six years, and I, I'm dedicated now to it. I get up every morning. I, I'm, I'm making it a, like a spiritual journey. Because <clears throat> I remember when you started, and you would play, you would play for us at, at lectures, <coughs> and your improvement and your performance versus like the first couple, of, I might even have recordings of that, by the way, but versus now, like when you play now to, to at the lectures, it's, it's something. I mean, you are, you are really, you're great. Oh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm much, I was better than what I was before. Um, yeah, so that, uh, that, that, um, what was I going to say about trumpet? Yeah. Yes, and right now the trumpet means more to me than it's ever meant. Even, even impressing my father, but um, now I'm doing it for something on my own, my own personal work with it, and um, I'm doing the grunt work. There's a whole fundamentals of the trumpet, the technicalities of it, the, um, the whole scale network, and all that stuff. That's like doing that's like doing sit-ups. You're not actually playing the game. You never get in the game, but you have to just keep doing the sit-ups, you know. So that's fundamentals, long tones, arduous. I buzz with my lips. I can play scales with... (laughs) 
So that's all embouchure. And when you do it without the trumpet, it's really, you know, you can hear it just like a bunch of sound. But when you put that into the trumpet, it's very strong. That same thing you just heard me do, if I would put that into the trumpet, it would be a big sound. But without it, see, that's a note. Do long tones like that. But that's all to get the embouchure, the muscles around here, strong enough. That's why you might do sit-ups. Right? What, what does Lynn say about your kissing? <laughs> she thinks I'm a great kisser, right? Yeah, Lynn, she does. I know she's listening to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. That's good. Trumpet, trumpet, trumpet players are known to be great kissers. And many other things. <laughs> that's right. Okay, folks, we're going to sign off now, hitting our airs. We started with meditation, and we got a little further into that, and Ray's still doing it. He's cut off a little bit. We talked about the the motivation, about that. Hey, well, so we'll follow that with Ray, see how he's doing, see maybe he'll share some experiences with that. We talk about a second birth, a birth that's not just the personality. The first is more of the animal birth, but then there's the birth of a possibility of higher consciousness or the essence, or you know, all kinds of different names for that. And, um, um, and we're saying that uh, meditation works like a sanctuary to explore parts of ourselves and, and know each other better. So anyway, we want to sign off now. Hey, Jim. Yeah. That's got to be your sign off. Wow. That's your calling. The buzz? Yeah. <laughs> you got to do it. You have to do it. Okay. It's so every show you're doing it. Every show. So you got to start it with that. And you got to bookend it with that, damn it. Right. So we'll sign off for that. So we'll say bye for Ray and for Jim. And uh, we'll see you next week. Come on!
You're listening to the Ace Broadcasting Network.